Fire and Snow from Household Words, Volume 8, Number 200. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Charles Dickens' 200th Anniversary Collection, Volume 4. Fire and Snow by Charles Dickens. Can this be the region of cinders and coal-dust, which we have traversed before now diverse times, both by night and by day, when the dirty wind rattled as it came against us, charged with fine particles of coal, and the natural color of the earth and all its vegetation might have been black for anything our eyes could see to the contrary in a waste of many miles? Indeed, it is the same country— though it's so altered that on this present day when the old year is near its last the northeast wind blows white and all the ground is white pure white insomuch that if our lives depended on our identifying a mound of ashes as we jar along this birmingham and wolverhampton railway we could not find a handful the sun shines brightly though it is a cold cold sun this piercing day and when the Birmingham tunnel disgorges us into the frosty air, we find the pointsman housed in no mere box, but in a resplendent pavilion all bejeweled with dazzling icicles, the least a yard long. A radiant pointsman he should be, we think, invested by fairies with a dress of rainbow hues, and going round and round in some gorgeously playful manner on a gold and silver pivot but he has changed neither his stout greatcoat nor his stiff hat nor his stiff attitude of watch and as like the ghostly dagger of macbeth he marshals us the way that we were going we observe him to be a mortal with a red face red in part from a seasonable joviality of spirit and in part from frost and wind with the encrusted snow dropping silently off his outstretched arm Redder than ever are the very red-brick little houses outside Birmingham, all staring at the railway in the snowy weather, like plethoric old men with white heads. Clean linen drying in yards seems ill-washed against the intense white of the landscape. Far and near the tall, tall chimneys look out over one another's shoulders for the swart ashes familiar to them, and can discern nothing but snow. Is this the smoke of other chimneys setting in so heavily from the northeast and overclouding the short brightness of the day? No. By the North Pole it is more snow. Making directly at us, and flying almost horizontally before the wind, it rushes against the train in a dark blast, profusely speckled as it were with drifting white feathers. A sharp collision, though a harmless one. No wonder that the engine seems to have a fearful cold in his head. No wonder, with a deal of outdoor work in such a winter, that he is very hoarse and very short of breath, very much blown when we come to the next station, and very much given to weeping, snorting, and spitting all the time he stops. Which is short enough, for these little upstairs stations at the tops of high arches whence we almost look down the chimneys of scattered workshops, and quite inhale their smoke as it comes puffing at us, these little upstairs stations rarely seem to do much business anywhere, and just now are like suicidal heights to dive from into depths of snow. 
so away again over the moor where the clanking serpents usually writhing above coal-pits are dormant and whitened over this being holiday time but where those grave monsters the blast furnaces which cannot stoop to recreation are awake and roaring now a smoky village now a chimney now a dormant serpent who seems to have been benumbed in the act of working his way for shelter into the lonely little engine-house by the pit's mouth now a pond with black specks sliding and skating now a drift with similar specks half sunken in it throwing snowballs now a cold white altar of snow with fire blazing on it now a dreary open space of mound and fell snowed smoothly over and closed in at last by sullen cities of chimneys not altogether agreeable to think of crossing such a space without a guide and being swallowed by a long-abandoned long-forgotten shaft not even agreeable in this undermined country to think of half a dozen railway arches with the train upon them suddenly vanishing through the snow into the excavated depths of a coal forest snow wind ice and wolverhampton all together no carriage at the station everything snowed up so much the better the swan will take us under its warm wing walking or riding where is the swan's nest in the market-place so much the better yet for it is market-day and there will be something to see from the swan's nest up the streets of wolverhampton where the doctor's bright door-plate is dimmed as if old winter's breath were on it and the lawyer's office window is appropriately misty to the market-place where we find a cheerful bustle and plenty of people for the most part pretending not to like the snow but liking it very much as people generally do the swan is a bird of a good substantial brood worthy to be a country cousin of the hospitable hen and chickens whose company we have deserted for only a few hours and with whom we shall roost again at birmingham to-night the swan has bountiful coal-country notions of firing snug homely rooms cheerful windows looking down upon the clusters of snowy umbrellas in the market-place and on the chaffering and chattering which is pleasantly hushed by the thick white down lying so deep and softly falling still neat bright-eyed waitresses do the honours of the swan the swan is confident about its soup is troubled with no distrust concerning codfish speaks the word of promise in relation to an enormous chine of roast beef one of the dishes at the ironmaster's dinner which will be disengaged at four the ironmaster's dinner it has an imposing sound we think of the ironmasters joking drinking to their iron mistresses clinking their glasses with a metallic ring and comporting themselves at the festive board with the might of men who have mastered iron now for a walk not in the direction of the furnaces which we will see to-night when darkness shall set off the fires but in the country with our faces towards wales say ye hoary finger-posts whereon the name of picturesque old shrewsbury is written in characters of frost ye hedges lately bare that have burst into snowy foliage ye glittering trees from which the wind blows sparkling dust ye high drifts by the roadside which are blue atop where ye are seen opposed to the bright red and yellow of the horizon say all of ye is summer the only season for enjoyable walks 
and Sir Roguish Crow alighting on a sheep's back to pluck his wool off for an extra blanket, and skimming away so black over the white field. Give us your opinion, swinging alehouse signs and cosy little bars. Speak out, farrier shed, with faces all aglow, fountain of sparks, heaving bellows and ringing music. Tell us, cottage hearths, and sprigs of holly in cottage windows. Be eloquent in praise of wintry walks, you sudden blasts of wind that pass like shiverings of nature, you deep roads, you solid fragments of old hayricks, with your fragrance frozen in. Even you, drivers of toiling carts, coal-laden, keeping company together behind your charges, dog-attended and basket-bearing, even you, though it is no easy work to stop every now and then, and chip the snow away from the clogged wheels with picks, will have a fair word to say for winter, will you not? Down to the solitary factory, in the dip of the road, deserted of holiday-makers, and where the water-mill is frozen up. Then turn. As we draw nigh to our bright bird again, the early evening is closing in, the cold increases, the snow deadens and darkens, and lights spring up in the shops. A wet walk, ankle-deep in snow the whole way. We must buy some stockings, and borrow the swan's slippers before dinner. It is a mercy that we step into the toy-shop to buy a pocket-comb, too, or the pretty child customer, as it seems to us, the only other customer the elderly lady of the toy-shop has lately had, might have stood divided between the two puzzles at one shilling each, until the putting up of the shutters. But the incursion of our fiery faces and snowy dresses, coupled with our own individual recommendation of the puzzle on the right hand, happily turned the scale. The best of pocket-combs for a shilling, and now for the stockings. Dibs don't keep em, though he writes up that he does, and Jibs is so beleaguered by country people making market-day and Christmas-week purchases that his shop is choked to the pavement. Mibs is the man for our money, and Mibs keeps everything in the stocking line, though he may not exactly know where to find it. However, he finds what we want, in an inaccessible place after going up ladders for it like a lamplighter. And a very good article it is, and a very civil-worthy trader Mibs is, and may Mibs increase and multiply. Likewise young Mibs, unacquainted with the price of anything in stock, and young Mibs's aunt, who attends to the ladies' department. The swan is rich in slippers, in those good old flip-flap in slippers, which nobody can keep on, which knock double knocks on every stair as the wearer comes downstairs, and fly away over the banisters before they have brought him to level ground. Rich also is the swan in wholesome, well-cooked dinner, and in tender chine of beef, so brave in size that the mining of all the powerful iron-masters is but a sufficient outlet for its gravy. Rich in things wholesome and sound and unpretending is the swan, except that we would recommend the good bird not to dip its beak into its sherry. Under the change from snow and wind to hot soup, drawn red curtains, fire and candle, we observe our demonstrations at first to be very like the engines at the little station, but they subside and we dine vigorously. Another tribute to a winter walk! And finding that the swan's ideas of something hot to drink are just and laudable, we adopt the same with emendations, in the matter of lemon chiefly, 
of which modesty and total abstinence principles forbid the record then thinking drowsily and delightfully of all things that have occurred to us during the last four-and-twenty hours and of most things that have occurred to us during the last four-and-twenty years we sit in armchairs amiably basking before the fire playthings for infancy creatures to be asked a favor of until aroused by the fragrance of hot tea and muffins these we have ordered principally as a perfume the bill of the swan is to be commended as not out of proportion to its plumage and now our walking shoes being dried and baked we must get them on somehow for the rosy driver with his carriage and pair who is to take us among the fires on the blasted heath by bilston announces from under a few shawls and the collars of three or four coats that we must be going away we go obedient to the summons and having taken leave of the lady in the swan's bar opposite the door who is almost rustled out of her glass case and blown upstairs whenever the door opens we are presently in outer darkness grinding the snow soon the fires begin to appear in all this ashy country there is still not a cinder visible in all this land of smoke not a stain upon the universal white a very novel and curious sight is presented by the hundreds of great fires blazing in the midst of the cold dead snow they illuminate it very little sometimes the construction of a furnace kiln or chimney admits of a tinge being thrown upon the pale ground near it but generally the fire burns in its own sullen ferocity and the snow lies impassive and untouched there is a glare in the sky flickering now and then over the greater furnaces but the earth lies stiff in its winding sheet and the huge corpse candles burning above it affect it no more than colossal tapers of state move dead humanity sacrificial altars varying in size but all gigantic and all made of ice and snow abound tongues of flame shoot up from them and pillars of fire turn and twist upon them fortresses on fire a whole town in a blaze moscow newly kindled we see fifty times rattling and crashing noises strike the ear and the wind is loud thus crushing the snow with our wheels and sidling over hillocks of it and sinking into drifts of it we roll on softly through a forest of conflagration the rosy-faced driver concerned for the honor of his locality much regretting that many fires are making holiday to-night and that we see so few come we at last to the precipitous wooden steps by which we are to be mastheaded at a railway station good-night to rosy-face the cheeriest man we know and up station very gritty as a general characteristic station very dark the gas being frozen station very cold as any timber cabin suspended in the air with such a wind making lunges at it would be station very dreary being a station man and boy behind money-taking partition checking accounts and not able to unravel a knot of seven and sixpence small boy with a large package on his back like christian with his bundle of sins sent down into the snow an indefinite depth and distance with instructions to look sharp in delivering that and then cut away back here for another second small boy in search of basket for mr brown unable to believe that it is not there and that anybody can have dared to disappoint brown six third-class passengers prowling about 
and trying in the dim light of one oil-lamp to read with interest the dismal time-bills and notices about throwing stones at trains upon the walls two more scorching themselves at the rusty stove shivering porter going in and out bell in hand to look for the train which is overdue finally gives it up for the present and puts down the bell also the spirits of the passengers in our own innocence we repeatedly mistake the roaring of the nearest furnace for the approach of the train run out and return covered with ignominy train in sight at last but the other train which don't stop here and it seems to tear the trembling station limb from limb as it rushes through finally some half an hour behind its time through the tussle it has had with the snow comes our expected engine shrieking with indignation and grief and as we pull the clean white coverlid over us in bed at birmingham we think of the whiteness lying on the broad landscape all around for many a frosty windy mile and find that it makes bed very comfortable end of fire and snow recording by patty cunningham